Welcome to the 401k Audit CPA Success Show, where we're 100% focused on helping companies across the United States prepare for their 401k audit. If you have 100 eligible participants in your 401k plan, then this podcast is for you. Welcome to the 401k Audit CPA Success Show. I'm your host, Jamie Na, and today I'm joined again by our Director of Auditing, Kim Moore. In the last episode, we talked a little bit about how Summit started the 401k process and also dug into Kim's background. Today, we're going to talk a little bit more about the 401k process and find out more. Kim, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thanks, Jamie. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's still a, still a busy time of year for you. It is a very busy time. Yes. Yeah, we have uh, four weeks left till our big deadline. So busy, busy, busy times here. Awesome. So if we're um, so let's dump into the process a little bit here. So let's start in the beginning. So if um, I'm a someone that needs a 401k audit, how should I go about finding a 401k auditor? What steps should I take? You know, let's um, first talk off why why would you need an auditor in the first place? Because not every plan needs an audit. Generally, there's there are some kind of detailed rules around this, but generally, if you have over a hundred eligible participants, you're going to need an audit. We won't go into all the details around the kind of exclusions to that. But generally, if you have over 100 people now, people also get confused. Uh, The 100 isn't just people that are participating in plan. So obviously, if you have 100 people that are participating in your plan, they're putting money into the plan, every payroll, uh, obviously, you would need an audit because you're over the 100. But it also includes folks at your company that are eligible to participate in the plan, but have chosen for whatever reason not to. And that's not a problem that they have elected not to participate, but you still need to include those numbers in that count to 100. So if you include the people that are participating in the plan, folks that are still in the plan, they've maybe left your company, they've terminated employment with you, but their funds are still in the 401k plan, you have to count them. And you count the folks that are eligible to participate, but have chosen not to. The total of that is over 100, then you need an audit. So if you're in that category, lucky you, I always tell people you won the lottery, you get to participate <laughs> in the, four, the 401k uh, plan lottery. Um, and so you need to find what's called a qualified accountant is what the, the regulators call us. Um, but you, uh, you need to find a CPA um, that can perform the audit for you. And um, there's a variety of ways, you know, you can look around your locale and see if you, maybe you already know someone who's a CPA, you might want to talk to them. Maybe you already have a CPA, someone who does some tax work for you, maybe someone who does some other odd work for you, that would be a good starting point, reach out to them. And if none of those apply, you don't know anybody at all, what a lot of people do, and this is how they come to us, is they just get on uh, Google search and look around for 401k auditor and um, Summit's name will pop up. So uh, that's another way is you can just, you know, Google audit, um, just like you do for anything else and um, see who's out there. Um, some things to look for, though, what happens a lot of times with people that are looking for an auditor is they focus on price. You know, I don't know what this thing is. I just know I need one. Can you do it? And how much is it going to cost me? Obviously, that matters. You care about how much it costs, but you don't want to focus exclusively on price. The folks that need this audit, the people that are out there looking for the auditor, they are usually what are called planned fiduciaries. So they're held to a pretty high standard by the regulatory bodies, which in this case is primarily the Department of Labor from the federal government. And they hold them to a really high standard. So believe it or not, if you hire an auditor 
That auditor doesn't know what they're doing. And they don't do all the things in the audit that they're supposed to. They will hold the company that uh, is sponsoring this 401k plan. They will hold them personally and uh, liable as a company as well. So as an individual, you can be held liable for a bad audit, even though you didn't do the audit, you're not the CPA. So it's really important that you make sure you find an auditor that does a lot of these audits, someone that really understands the nature of this type of audit, not just audit in general, but this specific type of audit. They are unique compliance-oriented audits. And most auditors are not that familiar with the specifics involved. So what we recommend people do ask a series of questions. Number one, obviously, do you do these kind of audits? Because some auditors just don't even touch them. So do you do these kind of audits? How many do you do a year? How long have you been doing them? What's the background experience of the people that will be doing the audit? Not the person in charge, but the person that's actually going to be doing your audit. What kind of training do you get? on these types of audits. Again, not audit specific or general, but this specific type of audit. And then lastly, there's something called the Employee Benefit Plan Audit Quality Center. I know, I know that's a mouthful, <laughs> um, but that's a, a group, a specific group from the AICPA, which is the professional group for all of us accountants types. And um, it's a specialized group inside that big, huge regulatory kind of authority body that specializes for auditors in this specific type of auditing. It's a voluntary organization. You have to meet certain criteria to be able to belong. Summit CPA is a member. And with membership in that particular organization, you get specific training, you get specific tools that are geared just to this unique type of audit. It helps make sure that the audits are quality audits. It helps make sure you're up to date with the latest regulatory information, anything new that's coming down the pike. You know, we'll know ahead of everybody else just because of our membership in that body. So that's another thing to ask. Do you belong to that? The last thing I would say is that anybody who performs audits across the country, doesn't matter what state you're in, you are required every three years to get something called a peer review. And what that basically means is another auditor is going to audit your work. They're going to come in, they're going to choose a few audits, and then they're going to give you feedback on the things that they saw that maybe you can work on to help improve or things that they really like that you're doing, maybe other people aren't doing. But at the end of that, they're going to write a report and you can get one of three ratings. The highest rating just sounds awful, but the highest rating is just pass. You know, you know, they don't have like, <laughs> well, you're great or anything. It's just pass. That's highest rating. But that's really what you want to see. So another thing you might want to ask as you're calling around vetting potential auditors, when did they have their last peer review? And can you see the report? And actually, if you belong to that quality center that I just mentioned, they will be they become public. So you can actually go on the AICPA website. You could look up Summit CPA and it will show you our most current peer review report. That's another requirement. So even if they don't give it to you, you can usually see on the AICPA website. So another thing to ask them about is peer review. So anyways, ask all those questions, get, get that documentation, take a look at it. You might want to try to ask them for references or talk to some current clients. Another thing, some of our new audit clients have done. Put all that information together from all of the people that you talk to and um, from there, you know, select the one that you think best fits your needs and is a quality, you know, you just want to make sure it's quality auditor.
I think it, what you said there that was really important is that it is a special kind of audit. So I, I, I grew up in audit. I, I worked there for about 10 years and it was kind of a fun game. Every summer, my firm decided how they were going to handle the 401k audits. Some summer it was the, everybody did it. Everybody did 401k audits, whether you were doing financial audits or whatnot, that's what you did during the summer was 401k audits. And then some summers I didn't have to do them at all because we had a specialized unit that did these audits and, and that's all they did all year round. And so every summer our firm seemed to switch back and forth between whether we are going to yeah. do it or whether specialized people are going to do it. And it is that specialized. It's not a typical audit. So I think it is really important that the people that are doing it have experience because it is definitely unique for the, um, for the audit industry. That's very true. Yeah. It, it's kind of a two-part audit for those who, who know a little bit about what the typical company financial statement audits are like. And we get a mix. Our, our new clients, some of them are familiar with the audit process. Some of them have never been through an audit. They don't even know. It's like audit is a foreign <laughs> foreign word. They don't even know what it means. But for anybody who does know what a financial statement audit is, this is kind of a subset of that. So we will do all of the things you do in a regular financial statement audit. The end product looks very much like a typical financial statement audit. It's going to have the audit opinion letter. It's going to have financial statements. It's going to have the footnote disclosures. There are some additional things that get added. There are Department of Labor additional things. But the, the front part of it all looks very similar at a high level as to what you'd get in a, in a regular financial statement audit. But there's this other set of work that you have to do if you've ever been in a 401k plan and you think about all the things that you went through throughout the, the life cycle of you being in that plan from being eligible and first getting into the plan to contributing over a number of years and then eventually uh, in some fashion, you're going to take your money out of the plan. All of those elements get tested as part of this audit. Uh, obviously, not every participant you know, in every plan, we're going to uh, select a sample. But Every aspect of that from uh, did people get offered the plan appropriately all the way through to their taking their money out of the plan was all of that handled appropriately. And there's all kinds of regulatory requirements. There's congressional acts, believe it or not, that affect this. So it is very socialized. And as you say, a lot of the audit firms just, they find a body. It's the summer. So whoever's exactly <laughs> have something to do today, let's give them this thing over here. Uh, it's just another audit. Who cares? Um, and maybe they're not looking at all the things that they should, because a typical auditor would do this financial pieces. And they'd probably do that fine. But all of the regulatory compliance, participant specific pieces, they'd probably just ignore, wouldn't even do them because they are very unique. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's more compliance, like you said. So it's more, it's more yes, no, there's no materiality. There's no like, oh, well, it's, it's close. You know, it's, it's either yes or no, something's being done or it's not being done. So it definitely, as an auditor, you have to have the right mindset going into it. Absolutely true. Yeah, and, it's and a you, concept that's very foreign. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> you have to definitely change the way you're thinking about things when you switch, mm -hmm. switch gears there. Yep. So you mentioned the term fiduciary. I'd like you to go into that a little bit. I think it's really important from someone who's getting audited to understand what that means, like who the, who's the fiduciary working for, what's the purpose of it, and we kind of have the um, how the fiduciary role works in an organization. Yeah, fiduciary. I mean, fiduciary is a general term um, that applies to a lot of different things, but specific to benefit plans, it is a defined term. There's something called a RISA. I mentioned congressional acts that um, influence this. The main one is something called ERISA. It was passed back in the 70s. And ERISA is an acronym. It stands for a big, big, long term, which is the actual name of the act. But that act covers all benefit plans sponsored by employers for employees that fit certain criteria. 
which almost all 401k plans fit into that category. And it defines fiduciary as a, a few sets of folks. Um, there's always got to be a named plan trustee. That will be someone that works at the company that's sponsoring the plan. And there, hey, there can be one or multiple people. And uh, it can even be a group of people. So you might have a committee that oversees the 401k plan and all of the individuals on that committee would be fiduciaries. So anybody that ha that has oversight over the plan, the folks that make the decisions for the plan, the, the folks that would say, we're going to have a plan or we're going to stop having plan, those are all fiduciary individuals. There's also something called a plan administrator. Those are the people that do the day-to-day -day work related to the plan. So they're making sure people get into the plan appropriately. They're doing the contributions into the plan, um, all the day-to-day -day stuff that has to happen. Those individuals, again, could be one or multiple people. All of those individuals are also fiduciaries to the plan. There also can be other subsidiary kind of secondary folks. Summit, as an example, <laughs> um, can become um, into that if we do certain tasks for the plan. The investment advisor, to the plan, depending on what level of service they're providing, they can become a fiduciary. So there's a whole group of people. And it's very important if you play a role with your company 401k plan to find out what is the definition and do you fit that? Because it's not a real easy yes or no kind of thing. It really kind of depends on what you do, facts and circumstances based type thing. But you really want to find out because the Department of Labor and the Internal Revenue Service both look at this. They are very strict on the rules surrounding a fiduciary. Fiduciary is not allowed to act in their own best interest with regard to the plan. They always, there's never an exception, have to act in the best interest of the plan and most importantly, the participants. So you may be, say, the CFO of the company and you're also a fiduciary for the 401k plan that your plan sponsors, and you're looking at something that you need to do with regard to the plan, maybe taking course A is going to cost the company some additional money. Course B would be cheaper, and maybe both are allowed. And in that case, you could always choose the cheaper option. But if it's a, a matter of, I want to go with A because that's cheaper for the company, you could be violating fiduciary rules. And if you are found to have violated a rule as a fiduciary, you personally can be held liable. So that would mean potentially a fine, which could be small dollar amount, could be a large dollar amount, and you are personally liable for that. The company cannot reimburse you. They're not allowed. So you would personally have to pay that. And there's also criminal penalties. Now, obviously that would have to be something that you've done that's very egregious. It's not going to be a minor, just error. But if you, you know, for example, people, unfortunately, we do sue company owners will take funds that should have gone to the 401k and they will take them for their own use or maybe pay company bills. Um, the DOL comes in, investigates, finds that out. You can go to jail and it can be significant um, jail time or something like that. The way the DOL looks at it, we were at a training session that the AICPA sponsored back in May that thousands of auditors want to, it's specifically for benefit plans. And uh, there were a couple of DOL folks speaking there, one of them's from the enforcement division. And he said the way that they look at it is that participants are taking money every payday that they could have used for who knows what, you know, their own personal use. And instead 
they're giving it to the company to invest on their behalf in their 401k plan. So they have funds to retire with and they're planning on retiring at some age and that using that money to help you know, support them at that point in time. If for some reason the employer is not doing that, then the person's going to get to retirement and have no money. You know, they won't be able to retire. So they take it very seriously. And, um, you know, they gave us lots of examples where things went wrong and they went after the employer or whoever was the name fiduciary. And um, they're very strict, very punitive. Like I said, it can involve jail time. So it's very serious. And you need to find out if it applies to you. And then if it does, Make sure you're following the rules and make sure you understand the rules. Because the other thing that the DOL was very strict about is that saying, I didn't know as a fiduciary, you know, I didn't understand that I wasn't allowed to do that or I was supposed to do this and I didn't, but that's no excuse. And they will absolutely not accept that as any kind of rationale for some type of miscompliant activity. So you know, make sure you get in, understand the rules, you follow the rules. If you don't understand something, <laughs> ask. Uh, and, you know, the DOL, they're very open. You know, they, they absolutely want you to call and ask if you're confused about something. But don't just fly by the seat of your pants with this because you can get in a lot of trouble. Yeah, no, definitely a lot of great, great points there. I think the, the, the key points I took from that was kind of as a fiduciary, I'm working for the plan. I need to have the plan first in mind. And then also, again, this is, this is a big deal. Like when I put money into my retirement, it's important to me. And I want to make sure that, that there is a fiduciary out there thinking of my plan, thinking of my money and not just um, thinking about the, the company they work for. So I always thought that was um, really important. And I, that was a great answer. Okay, so I, I found my uh, 401k auditor. I got this great auditing firm signed up for it. So now I'm getting ready to jump into the audit. What is what is the process? Where does it start? What do I need to have ready for when the auditor comes? comes, Or maybe they're doing it remotely like uh, Summit would do. But what do I need to have ready? And, and how does the audit process start? Well, every audit's a little bit different, as you can imagine. It partly depends on the plan and the level of activity in the plan, what the plan allows and what it doesn't. But at a high level, there's a few different pieces, kind of components to an audit, um, you're going to start off with planning and um, makes sense, right? You just so <laughs> got to get in and plan whatever it is you're going to do. But for an audit, planning has a specific purpose. We are required as auditors to understand whatever it is that we're auditing, which again, kind of makes sense. And from a benefit plan perspective, there are a few things that we need to do. Once the client has engaged us, that's the absolute first thing that has to happen is that We've both agreed, yes, this particular firm is going to do the audit. There's something called an engagement letter that the company will sign officially engaging the auditors. Once that's done and we've got a couple of the other kind of paperwork things done up front, um, the very first thing that the firm is going to do is gain an understanding of the plan. And they're going to want some basic information. There are things called plan documents, uh, service agreements, various documents that govern how the plan works. And we're going to need to get a hold of all of those current copies uh, that can either come from our client or most clients today use service providers. So somebody called a record keeper, a TPA, a custodian, they may have a variety of different organizational setups that they use of service providers, but we're going to need to know who those people are and either get in contact with them to get the information or the client will work with them to get the information on our behalf. However, the client you know, wants to organize that. We'll also need financial information for that plan year from those service providers. And we're going to need various payroll information for the year and then also for 
test sample items that we're going to do. So my suggestion to people when they first start the audit isn't anything specific to the audit. Hopefully they've been doing this all along, but make sure you got good records. You should be keeping payroll records all along, whether you need a 401k audit or not. If you've got a 401k plan, you should be keeping a separate file, whether that's an electronic file or some people still have paper files in a file cabinet. However you do it, you should have a separate 401k set of files. And you know, make sure you're keeping that all along. So when the auditor comes and asks for here are the list of 20 things I need, you can just go to your file cabinet or your you know digital file and pull the things in and provide them the information that they need. From the planning, once we have um, some basic information about the plan, we've kind of looked around at that information that you've provided. The next kind of section of the audit is called the risk and control assessment phase. So we're gonna take a look at all of the procedures related to the plan, both from the service provider level, as well as our client level. So we're gonna to talk to the client about how does the 401k work from their side? What do they do relative to the 401k? What do they not do? What do they rely on their service providers to do for them? Then we're gonna get some things called SOC reports. So I won't go into a lot of detail what that is because <laughs> that, that takes us way over our time. But um, we get these things called stock reports from the service providers, and we take a look at those. Those describe the procedures and controls at those service providers. So we kind of put that all together. We do an assessment of how procedures are working. Um, we're going to do an assessment of risk. So what could go wrong? So what could the, the either the client or one of these service providers do wrong? whether it's just an error, maybe somebody doing something they're not supposed to be doing, they're maliciously doing something, or just in general, maybe a control that's missing. So we're going to do an overall assessment. Out of that, then we're going to determine what types of testing do we need to do. And that leads us into the next phase of the audit, which is the testing phase. So from that, we're going to determine the different tests. We're going to put together our audit test steps and our audit samples. As I mentioned earlier, we're not going to test everything. So you may have 500 people in the plan. We're not going to test all 500 people that put money into the plan that year. We're going to pick a sample, a subset of each of those, so a subset of people that put money in the plan, subset of people that could have become eligible during the year, subset of people that took money out of the plan, subset of people that had a loan in the plan. And we're going to randomly pick those people, and then we're going to ask for documentation supporting all of that activity. We're going to test. Inevitably, almost, it seems like every time, <laughs> uh, something there are questions. So maybe we just need some additional documentation to figure something out. Maybe it looks like something wasn't handled properly. Maybe something just missing. Good example, every one of these plans has to have what's called a fidelity bond. It has to cover the whole year. It has to be of a certain type. It has to be of a certain amount. Some of those fiduciaries, again, we're going back to the fiduciaries, uh, it's their responsibility to have this bond, and they don't know that they need it. So we ask for a copy of the bond. They have no idea what we're talking about because they don't have one. Sometimes they'll ask, they'll give us a copy of the bond, and it ended mid-year, and they forgot to renew it. Sometimes the assets of the plan went over a certain dollar amount. Uh, now they need a bigger bond. And they didn't know that, didn't get the bond level increase. So that's a real simple example of something that we could find. Every one of those, call them variances up front, need to come to a resolution. So ultimately, maybe there's just documentation you can provide that help clear it up. And then we're fine and we just move along. Sometimes we can, as in the example of the bond, come to the 
the conclusion that you didn't have the bond and you should have. So <laughs> that's a finding and we talk about it with the client, but that's the end of it. Then they, they need to go away after the audit and obtain a bond. Uh, sometimes they can be more complicated um, discrepancies and it takes a lot of back and forth to figure it out. Sometimes it can be pretty significant errors. We may have to stop the audit and let the provider work with their service providers to figure out what happened, get it corrected, and then we come back in and finish the audit. So once you get down to the the nitty gritty of the, the errors that we're finding or the discrepancies, they can go down thousands of paths, but ultimately we have to come to some type of resolution. Once all of that's worked through and, and we're all done testing, then we move into the final phase of the audit, which is the reporting and kind of wrap up, close out, Obviously, reporting, we're going to put together a report, which is kind of what we talk about. That's the final deliverable. That's going to include that audit opinion, financial statements, the footnotes, and the final supplemental required schedules. We're going to get out to the client, let them take a look at it, walk them through it if need be, and then do our closeout procedures. There's a few things we need to do at the end just to finalize the audit. And then the final thing that happens, we give them the final completed totally finalized report. They take that report, file it with something called a Form 5500, which is actually a tax return. There's no money that goes along with it. It's an informational return, but they're going to file those two things together on the DOL website. And then that closes out the process. On our end, we have to do some closeout stuff on our end, but that basically wraps it up. So Great. Pretty, so, pretty um, long process. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So if I'm going through an audit, um, from what I heard there, it kind of sounds like there's there's three levels of requests. So you start off with kind of the broad requests, and then from there, mm -hmm. you select more details and ask for more details on that. And so then you get the more detailed request, and then from there, kind of comes the third request where you're kind of investigating any differences and looking for any um, additional support for any of those things you found out. So is that kind of summarize right. the process of um, yeah. requests? Yeah, that's pretty well. Yeah, that's pretty accurate, and we have pretty streamlined process. So. So we try to group the requests together so that we do, we really don't want the client um, sitting on their end and every day or, you know, mm -hmm. I always say every five minutes, I'm sending you another email or a phone call saying, hey, I also need this now. <laughs> oh, now I need this. That's annoying. I mean, none of us like that. So we try to have a pretty straightforward but streamlined approach, just as you mentioned, that here's the first group of materials. And then from that, we're going to go away, do some work. Then we'll come back, give you another set of requests, going to go away, do some work. And then at the end, you know, depending on what we find, you know, you could get lucky and um, we don't have a whole lot of follow-up at the end, but usually there is some, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much how it works. And we try to keep to that and not have a bunch of in-between, you know, one-off type things. Cause that's, yeah. that just gets annoying. You don't want to be in the hair of the entire audit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we have a couple minutes here. So I just want you to kind of summarize for me. So it's by the time this airs, there's going to be two weeks before that deadline. You just described a pretty good process, but how long does it take for an audit to get done from start to finish? Is two weeks enough time? What should I do if I'm down in this final two weeks and I don't have an audit yet? But um, just kind of real quickly summarize that for me. Yeah, typical audits. I mean, of course, they all vary, but we say about three weeks is the shortest period of time we found um, to do a quality audit from beginning to end, um, especially if it's our first time doing the audit. Now, if we've done your audit before, there are some, and there haven't been a lot of changes, there are some things we can do to shorten it. But especially if it's your first audit with us, about the shortest we can do is three weeks. And they can take anywhere six to eight weeks, too. It just depends on 
the plan, how complicated it is, and what activity happened during the year. What we recommend to people, absolutely, you want to file that 5,500 if at all possible, calendar your plans. If you got the extension, your drop dead's October 15th. So before October 15th or on October 15th, you want to file 5,500, even if you don't have, even if you don't have an auditor or the audit's not done. But we really recommend people do is get an auditor, engage with them, then go ahead and file the 5,500 and put a letter with the filing saying I've engaged you know, ABC firm to do my audit. It is underway as soon as it's completed. We'll refile the 5500 with the completed audit. Now, have you, you know, really met the compliance requirement? No, um, but you're minimizing uh, any impact to the company um, or to yourself by doing that. So, so that's what we recommend. Obviously, the sooner you engage the auditor, the better. The sooner they're going to be able to get completed and wrapped up. But absolutely, you want to go ahead and file the 5500. There's two separate compliance requirements. One's to file the 5500. The other is to have an audit completed and filed with the 5500. Those are two separate rules. They carry two separate fines. So if you don't file anything, then you're you're leaving open both potential fines, or at least if you file the 5500, you've you know, stopped the fine on the one so you still will probably pay the fine on the audit side, but you won't on the 5500 side. And then Correct. when you refile it, you'll be um, you'll have to just pay that additional fine. Correct. Right. And there are different programs on both the Department of Labor side and the IRS side for various, I call them failures or mistakes that people encounter. Both regulatory agencies understand this is complicated. And we all just make mistakes. So they have different programs that you can go into. They just kind of hold your hand up as a voluntary, their voluntary correction programs and say, hey, I'm in mistake. I didn't file this on time. And that will also help lessen, you know, lessen your fine if you get into those programs. So there, there are options available to people. Great. Well, I think you provided a lot of great information today, Kim, and I appreciate you great. coming on. We are out of time, but we're going to meet again in a couple of weeks here. And I think at that time, let's let's talk about the remote audit process and talk about what it's like to work with a remote firm. I think that would be great. And yeah, I would enjoy doing that. And I think the listeners would really enjoy hearing our different approach to audit. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Jamie. Enjoy this episode? Visit our website at summitcpa.net to get more tips and strategies for achieving virtual CPA success. We're here to be a resource in this ever-changing industry.